Ah, welcome everyone to the Recruitment and Careers Club podcast. Um, we carry out interviews with leading figures in business, corporate, sport and entertainment, as well as spotlighting amazing life stories and achievements. And today we're very honoured to have Christine Handy, who's a model, a breast cancer disruptor, brand model, best-selling author, motivational speaker, mentor and mother of two. Have I done you justice with that synopsis of your background, Christine? I go to Har- I go to Harvard too. I'm getting my master's degree in literature, so might want to add that. Wow. Okay, so Harvard as well on top of the list, and I think as well when I was doing my research about you, um, you started modeling from the age of eleven, where you were traveling the, yeah. ad, the world doing ads for brands like J. Crew, Guess, Pepsi, um, all of those kind of things, and then. Everything kind of changed when once you got the breast cancer diagnosis around October 2012. Um, I just wanted to talk about how it was for you growing up. Um, was it a kind of a natural thing for you to get into modeling? And what was that world like? Um, natural in a way, because I was privileged and I had the opportunities were always in front of me. Uh, unnatural in the fact that my parents had three other daughters and they weren't really interested in my career as a model. You know, they wanted kind of everybody on equal playing field. And so I had to really fight them in order to become a model. And now look at 40 years later, I'm still doing it. It's an industry I do love. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I really was able to do, you know, with a lot of grit and determination who which is who I am to do most things that I wanted until I started to get sick yeah and uh, let's talk about that because that is such a profound thing to happen to anybody you're you're having this you know glamorous life which people associate with modeling you're traveling the world you're working with all these big brands and then boom that diagnosis comes to you just Talk us through how, how, how it was in terms of your world uh, and, and yeah. doing that. Well, and it wasn't just the, the opportunities that were obviously taken away. It was that I had built my life on this platform of external beauty, external value. And so when you're faced with a diagnosis like I did, which was an aggressive form of breast cancer, and I knew I had many months of chemotherapy, you just look at all the things that you thought were your value get washed away right? Like I lost my hair. I lost my beauty. I lost my eyelashes. I, I thought I lost everything that mattered to me. And, you know, I had to really dig deep during those months of chemotherapy and months of illness and try to figure out who I was outside of the external. Cause I had no idea who that person was. And when you build your life on external and temporal things, all of that can be taken away but I had no idea that was possible. Right. Cause I lived this privileged life. You know, when, when I wanted to become a model, the opportunity was in front of me. And so I didn't realize that this could, I, I felt a little bit untouchable. And that's when all this life, the sand that I built my life on just came crumbling down. Yeah. I just um, can't imagine how, how, how that would feel. And especially like you said, as you described in your world, you know, where he's all, about beauty and the aesthetics and, and the things that you had to go through. I mean, the strength of character that you display um, overcoming such adversity is, is remarkable. Is that something you always had within you or something you developed on your journey? 
I, I mean, I guess I always had it within me, but I didn't realize I had it. I really thought that I needed other people. Like when I got married, I thought I needed my husband to compliment me. I needed my children. I needed to be a mother. I needed to be a daughter. I needed to be a friend. But in actuality, I really overcome all of those things with help, but on my own, right? I was the one that went to chemo. I was the one that showed up for the surgeries. I was the one that woke up in the middle of the night afraid because I had cancer. And so underlying all that belief that I needed other people was this person inside that was tough and, and ready to take the grit and the grace and, and go through all of, all of that. And I think that's part of the reason why people like my story it's because I had this flowery life, right? I had this life that most of the world will look at and go, oh, she had everything when really inside I had nothing because I didn't know who I was. And then to have that taken away and then to rebuild my life, it's a choice how we rebuild our lives. It really every single day. And I rebuilt my life on my faith and I rebuilt my life on serving other people. And that looks completely different than the life I lived before. And so I think that transformation, and I think the reason people like to interview me or like to talk about my story is because they go, well, how did you do that? And why? And the why is because I was living a very interesting life, a life that the world thought was very exciting, but it was very empty. Again, because I go back to, I wasn't feeling like I had any value inside. And and I thought my friends liked me for what I could do for them. I I lived in this very transactional world, but it turns out my friends didn't like me for what I could give them, what I could offer them. They loved me for who I was, which is why they showed up for me for season after season of illness, because they love the inside of me. I just didn't know who that person was. I had to figure that person out. Yeah, it's fascinating your insights there, and, and they do say when you know you hit bad times, you find out who are your true kind of supporters, your true kind of kinship of, of friends, and and those who really care about you. Because let's face it, when everything's going all hunky dory, yeah, you know, and everything's going all well, um, it, it it can be quite easy for people to befriend and have that co- those kind of groups and associations. Is when things are going bad or you're suffering difficult times, you really find out who people are and what they're about and what they actually mean to you and 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 their true feelings towards you i mean elon musk talks about this actually in, in one of his um uh posts he was talking about instagram and how you know we live in this compare and con- contrast culture of comparisons all the time where this you know we're flooded with kind of adverts and social media of the perfect life the perfect look the perfect body the perfect way and you find people like on Instagram, for example, you know, beautiful people, happy people. And he was basically saying some of those beautiful and happy people in reality are some of the most saddest people in life. And that's that, you know, that you can't, you, nobody knows in essence what goes on behind closed doors. I mean, what what's your thoughts about all of that coming from the industry that you did come from? Well, I think it's a very important conversation because for me on social media, I built my social media on my vulnerability and sharing the truth about what I went through. Like if you read my, my book, it's not flattering about who I was. It's the honest truth about who I was, but all the scars and all the, you know, personality traits that aren't very appealing because I didn't want to paint this picture that my life was perfect or that it ever had been perfect. Right. Right. Because I think people need that story to relate to each other. 
so that they don't feel so alone in their pain. But what we're putting out, the majority of the people are putting out on social media. Now, there is a trend to maybe what I'm doing or what you're doing, which is being more vulnerable. But in general, people are painting this picture with filters and all these, you know, uh, look at me, look, I'm on vacation all the time and look at my perfect life and my perfect family. And you're right, it's, it can be very empty. But I think we have to be very careful who we choose to follow. And that's our responsibility. So if we're choosing to follow, let's say the Kardashians, and they're putting all this stuff out there that their life is perfect and they have billions and billions of dollars, which on some level is very true, then that's what we're choosing to watch, right? I don't choose to watch that. I choose to watch real people. I choose to watch real stories because I don't want to feel alone in how lonely I feel some days. I want to be able to look in my social media and look at real life instead of just posters of imperfection or perfection that's it really imperfection yeah and, and it's so true and uh, at the end of the day as consumers we have a choice right on on what we consume always. um always. And, uh, and 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 for me it's always been that you know you, you choose by what you do and what you seek and 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 uh, what you look for um in terms of the modeling industry per se you know from a career perspective it's quite a competitive industry um, from my research and understanding about it. And it can be quite cutthroat. Did, did you, were you a, a very ambitious person when you were modeling? Did you have kind of goals and targets of where you wanted to be? Did you want to become like a supermodel or any kind of aspirations and, and, and drivers when you, were, when you were modeling for so long? You know, I would have been a, very, a much more successful model if I had a better self-esteem. And what I mean by that is like right now, I, I have more success now as a model and I have no chess. And the reason I have more success right now is because I'm saying to brands and to the industry, hey, take it or leave it. But this is this is beautiful. And this is a story. Right. And so a lot of brands right now are looking for a story. So my my story resonates. But if I had the confidence that I do now back then when I was 20, when I was trying to get become a guest model or was trying to work for Elite Worldwide, which I, I did, I would have done way better. But I didn't believe in myself. I would say, oh, well, you got this job, but you know, the photographer, you know, he did you a favor. I would kind of self-cut instead of just saying, no, you got your the job because you show up on time and you do a good job and your agency believes in you and your booker believes in you. But I never said those things to myself because I was self-criticizing all the time. And right now, I don't self-criticize. I boost myself up. I cheer myself on. I'm my biggest cheerleader because I know through, I'm 50 years old, I know through life that we don't have to depend on other people to cheer us on. We can cheer ourselves on. But that's a lesson that I wish I had learned at 18 when I was trying to be a successful model. I didn't have that confidence and I didn't have that belief in myself imagine what we can do, what we can accomplish. If all of our self-esteem is on a level that's extraordinary, right? We would accomplish so much more and we'd be better human beings. And we wouldn't be in this comparison and judgment world. Yeah, you make so, such great insights and points there. And, and, and it's true. And, and, and one of the good things about growing old, and you don't look 50 at all, by the way, Christine, um, is that... You know, as you grow older, you can have that 
attitude of you know knowing a little bit more about yourself than you did when you were younger because experience come with life comes experience and as we grow older we learn more we, come, we like to think we get to become better um and with that in mind you know you don't have so much of the hang-ups that you have in those difficult years when you're a teenager we all go through it you know we're trying to find out about ourselves where everything, you know, is changing. Um, we are still very impressionable and quite naive. And you sometimes think if only, and I'd right. like, I always like to delete that word, if, um, right. uh, in, in people that I talk to, but if you could talk to your younger self, uh, as you know things now, you say, you know, stop worrying about that. Stop getting so hung up about this and stop getting that so hung up about that. And, and I think when you talk about self-belief, those people who really attain greatness, because in my yeah. opinion, is that, you know, fear never goes away, right? We, we can always worry about something, whether it's health, financial, all aspects. Fear doesn't go away. What you can, what you need to do as a human being, as an individual, is the act of courage in spite of fear you know courage is the act in spite of fear and in terms of you as an individual and as a person if you can stop those demons going in between your ears of all those kind of aspects of what you're thinking while you're comparing and contrasting and you have that self-belief those reservoirs of self-belief that's what really attains greatness i think to those in the world of sport or in the entertainment industry modern industry creatives whatever it is they just have that extra doses of self-belief when doubt comes in when fear starts to kick in they go back to those reservoirs of self-belief and it's what gets them through those difficult periods and I think when you're younger although you can be a bit more fearless when you're younger because you don't understand certain aspects of what life can behold you then have the kind of competing tension of all the other aspects of oh, am I good enough? You know, oh, the other person is so much better than me or that person's done more than me and all these kind of comparison and contrast, especially in the age of the digital era. So I think the, the things that you said, it, it's so resonating uh, uh, from my perspective. Well, I think there are really two really important things that I learned when through all my illnesses, because I didn't just have breast cancer. I had two other major illnesses. The two things that I really learned was, one, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse. So you can't take any of the stuff that I was acquiring with you. That's number one. Number two is at the end of the day, what matters? Like what, who really cares if so-and-so doesn't like you or so-and-so doesn't agree with you or so-and-so thinks you should get a vaccine or so-and-so thinks you shouldn't get a vaccine. Who cares, right? None of those people matter when you're on your deathbed. None of those people matter. What matters is how you feel about yourself. And so if I go through my life worried about what this faction of the world thinks of me or what that faction of the world thinks of me, man, I'll never have peace in my life. But if I feel good and my measure is my faith and I feel good about myself, I don't worry about any of them. My focus is my focus. And we can go off into all different tangents about, oh, well, so-and-so this or so-and-so that, like you said. But if you stay on focus and whatever your focus is, that's what you become. I mean, your focus could be drugs and you could become a drug addict, right? Your focus could be service, which is what mine is. And I serve all day long in different ways. But whatever you focus on, you become. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great, great point that you make. And, and I think 
there's a difference between being stressed and stretched. If you can stretch yourself and maximize your abilities, it, exactly. it, not everybody can be, a, say, a Roger Federer in tennis or a Bill Gates or right. a Cindy Crawford, you know, but you can be the best that you possibly be in terms yeah. of your own natural talents. Then you go a long way. And I always say to people, you know, I never wanted to be or want to be the richest man in the graveyard, you know, at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah, life has more kind of aspects to it, doesn't it? It's about having a meaningful life, a meaningful career, meaningful relationships and trying to make a difference. And that's why your point about service seems to yeah. be your, your, your driver, uh, your fuel in your fire of what you're doing nowadays. Would that be fair? That is the only thing that I care about, right? I mean, because I, I have had so much pain in my life. I live in chronic pain. If I allow that to control me, and I allow that to keep me in my bed or to keep me in fear or to keep me in that emotional pain. Like, why did this happen to me? That for me, I would have accomplished nothing. I was, I was diagnosed with cancer in October of 2012. I've accomplished more in the last eight years than I've accomplished in my entire life. That cancer diagnosis to some would have been a death sentence to me. Ultimately wasn't overnight. It turned into an opportunity to serve. I wrote a book. It became a bestseller. I want, I wanted the book to become a film. It's becoming a film. Those things didn't happen easily. I've worked five years nonstop because I believed in those projects. Not for me. It's not for my self-serving. It's for other people because I know my story can affect lives. I know my story gives people hope. So it's the idea of serving, right? And if that's my focus and I believe in myself, there's nothing that will stop me. There's no platform. There's no social media that will stop me. But I'm also not comparing my life to other people. Because if I did, I'd look around and go, well, that person's not in chronic pain. That person didn't, isn't worried about getting cancer back. Who cares? I'm, I've got to be good with me. And that is my measure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it just, yeah, it's just remarkable. And the way you articulate is just, it's just amazing. Uh, as your work, you know, as unfolded and your career has, you know, um, moved and evolved, uh, which one do you enjoy more? Is it working as a mentor or, or did you enjoy becoming an author in terms of your writing? You know, what, what, what kind of fitted in more to you in terms of your own personal enjoyment or your own natural fit was one easier than the other? You know, I feel like because I was a model in front of a camera for so many years, and now that I'm a motivational speaker, I feel like I was kind of preparing. I was getting prepared to be a speaker because I do love to speak about social justice and, and my story and giving people hope. I like to teach people about like the right way to live versus the way I used to live my life. <laughs> um, but I also like I'm on the board of two nonprofits. I love serving in that way. There's so many different ways that we can serve. Yeah, I like social media because you can serve on social media. You can show people a better way to live. You can give people hope on social media. So I don't think that there's one way. I think that it's funny. Like when I was first starting off and my, my book had just become a bestseller, I had some PR people say, you know, you really need to hone in on what your message is. Is it breast cancer? Is it chronic pain? Is it social justice? Is it, what is it? And I'm like, it's all of it. And they go, well, you'll never be successful. Well, I said, you know what? I'm going to take that gamble. Now there's a Wikipedia page about me because I took that gamble because I don't want to put myself in a box of 
well, this is the only thing I serve about. I, I speak in prisons in the state of Florida. You'd think I speak in women's prisons, right? They didn't hire me to speak in women's prisons. I speak in male prisons. And you look at me and you, you go, what could you possibly say to those prisoners that they could relate to? I have those, there's 2000 prisoners that email me because they love my story of hope. So we can't put each other in a box and, and just looking at you or looking at me, people will go, well, she, she looks healthy or she looks successful or she doesn't matter. I have scars everywhere. I've gone through 28 rounds of chemo. I've had 23 non-elective surgeries and I'm still thriving because it's about what I'm focused on. It's not about living in the past and all the pain. It's about like, what am I focused on today? I'm focused on serving. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's just incredible, uh, your your mindset and your attitude to, to it. And like they say in Brazil, you know, hope is the last thing to die. And, and people want hope, you know, they want it. And, and Out there. So, yeah. Out there. Absolutely. And and hearing your story shows it, you know, it's inspiring and people want to be inspired. Let's face it, when we turn on the news with COVID and other aspects, you know, it's always bad news. It's always fear, 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 fear and stuff that's going wrong, you know, and then hearing inspiring kind of stories, comebacks, overcoming adversities, you know, it's, it's damn right inspiring for anyone in any career, in any aspect of life per se. Um, but Public speaking, there's, there's polls done about this. Um, people dread more public, uh, <laughs> the public speaking than anything else in life. Um, but for you, you just took me like a duck to water. I thrive speaking. I, I thrive. Like this Zoom thing is good. It, it, it serves its purpose. Man, <laughs> you put me you put me on a, you know, on a platform with a thousand people in the audience and I am super happy. You know, I'll get nervous like right before, but when I get on that stage and I'm behind the podium, I, everything just washes away because there's an opportunity to help people. And I look at all those people in the audience and I'm like, how can I help these people? How can I make these people not feel so bad, as bad as I felt in my life? Right. And I think who else has this opportunity? What this is such a privilege. And so I take it very seriously. I think there's so many privileges that we just think are normal or expected, right? Like we, we open up our social media and we're like, oh, you know, we have Instagram or we have this or that. It's a privilege. Use it as a privilege, right? Use it to serve other people. Show people hope. Show people your story so that they don't feel alone. Yeah, absolutely. It's just avenues, distribution channels. And, and I think because reading between the lines of what you're saying, it's that sense of perspective, right? It's a mindset. It's yeah. a sense of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say to people when they get hung up of things or worried or, or or build things up in their head in my world of recruitment or headhunting or coaching, you know, it's just get some perspective to it. Right. And then you kind of then break that down and don't build it up so much, like it's almost, you know, a mountain to climb. Or you, I think people overthink it and build things up and it causes that real sense of flight and panic rather than embrace the opportunity um i think what well, billy jean sums it up well she's a famous tennis player and grand slam uh, tennis champion for those King, he's the best yeah for those uh, of, of uh, people listening to the podcast and and she says pressure is a privilege and the reason being is that when you're in a sense of pressure you're attaining to something 
You know, you're getting towards your goal or target of something. And for her, every time she had that sense of pressure when she was on, when she was in centre court in Wimbledon and she was coming close to a trophy, it meant that she was reaching the heights of her chosen profession. And that mindset kind of quote uh, that I came across with her was like, you know, mind-blowing because a lot of people associate pressure in a, in a negative connotation, don't they? There's positive pressure and there's negative pressure. I, I, that's how I break it down. Negative pressure is when no business is coming in, you're stressed, you don't know what's happening next. Positive pressure is when there's a lot coming in, you're just managing it all and making sure you, you deliver the results expected of your clients. Does that kind of mindset of Billy Jean and the stuff that I... I've just described. Does that resonate with you in your journey? Yeah, I would have never figured out who I was if I wasn't under in that pressure cooker. And I wasn't in a pressure cooker for a short time. I was in a pressure cooker for a long time, like 15 months of chemotherapy. And before that, I was in a, a year of surgeries on my arm, which left me handicapped in my right arm. So I needed that like two and a half years of being in a pressure cooker in order to figure out like, this isn't working the way I'm doing it. We got to figure out a different way. And I was one of those people that was like, this glass is half full. And, you know, people say, oh, you can't change. You are who you are. That's not true. Like day in and day out, I had to focus on changing the tape in my head that I wasn't worthy, that I wasn't good enough, but I had to change it. I didn't need the world to give me accolades and say, okay, I'm going to give you this many likes so that you feel better. I don't need the likes. I need for me to say to myself, no, if I, if I call, if I criticize myself in my own head, which we all do, I'm going to stop that thought. I'm going to take it captive and I'm going to replace it with something that's cheering me on. Right. But before, before I had cancer, I would write a check for charities. Right. I would think that was enough. And, and, and it is in many cases, but now I, I go serve because I want the joy from it. It's kind of selfish because my whole life up until cancer, I felt a great happiness. But once I was finished with chemotherapy and I started to really serve in my life, that's when I felt joy. Now I'm addicted to that feeling of joy. If you give, right, and you get that joy, that's selfish. I'll take it all day long. And I, and I think that's why billionaires, for example, they do a, a lot of philanthropy, don't they? They can buy anything, almost do anything, but it doesn't give them that sense of uh, being complete. And that's why they do their foundations and stuff, that sense of philanthropy. Yes, of course, it's a place to have a history. Maybe you've got a hospital named after you or a university named after you or whatever, but it also gives you that buzz, especially if you believe in certain causes and passions and uh, that you want to do. Um, did How did the cancer diagnosis affect your relationships? Did it put a, a strain? You know, how did that play out? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a very loaded question. <laughs> um, yeah, like you said earlier, people either show up or they leave in those types of situations. I would say the majority of the people in my life showed up. And because they showed up, I started to go, huh, there must be something about me they're showing up for that has nothing to do with this, right? And so then I started showing up for myself. But there were a few relationships that, that you know, were, were terminated. Um, and that was a shame. But you have to kind of give those people the grace to leave, right? Like, who wants to be with somebody that doesn't, who they don't, they don't want to be with you? Let them go right? But that also takes courage. And that's also coming from a place of no pride. 
Because a lot of times we hang on to people because of pride, right? Well, they, I don't want them to be with anybody else. Or what about me that did they not like? So then we kind of change to be with that person. Just believe in, if you believe in yourself enough and love yourself enough, you'll let those people go gracefully, like without a fight, because they're not meant to be in your life at that stage of your life. Yeah, it's a great way of looking at it. And it's true. People do hang on to things because if I can't have them, I don't want anyone else to have them. Um, it's that sense of pride or ego that comes in. Um, so what has surprised you in your career today, Christine? What has surprised me about my career? Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised by my success. And I don't say that in a prideful way. I've literally worked for five years every single day. And I haven't relied on other people to do it. I've done it myself. And so I think if you work at something every single day after a certain amount of time, it's going to have some success. Like so many people start a project and they quit in the middle and they can't wait till the end, right? So they quit. I was never going to quit on me. Like my success and my, my success is really my belief in myself. I'm not quitting on myself. But oftentimes people quit on themselves because they lose that sense of self-love, that sense of self-belief. And so I'm continually inspired by how hard I work. And so I think that the successes that come from this, I think they'll always keep surprising me. And I'm grateful for that. I'm never going to quit doing what I'm doing. I'm never going to quit giving people hope. I'm never going to quit talking about my story because there's so much space, especially in this world, where people don't want to feel alone. And if that means me talking about my darkest days and and my, you know, worst fears and, and how I went from being constantly worried to not worrying at all, then I'm going to keep talking about that because the world is desperate for people like me to share those stories. And so the success, whatever comes, comes, but that's not what I lay. Like when I lay down at night to go to bed, I'm not worried about whether my book was a bestseller or whether the movie actually gets made. What I'm concerned about is helping other people. So the success is just like gravy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a good way of looking at things. Um, Have you ever been told to change something about yourself? I think people always want people to change who they are always, especially right now in this culture, Mm. you don't look a certain way. So you should do this. You look a certain way. So you don't fit that box. I want you to not say this. I would rather you say more of this. I mean, I have, I work for five speaking agencies. I work for two modeling agencies. I have a manager. I have an assistant. I work for a lot of people and they, And they kind of lead me in certain directions. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm good with who I am. My measure is God. And so if I follow my my rules, then I'm okay and safe in my world. And so, but you have to ignore all of that other noise. And I'm not talking about the people that work for me. I'm talking about the world. Because if you're successful, they're going to tear you down for that. If you're not successful, they're going to tear you down for that. But if you're listening to that noise, you're always going to be torn down. I don't listen to that noise. Yeah, it's and that's what most people find difficult, being themselves. Um, You know, we we have so much pressures 
within the world that we operate in there. Well, why don't it be more like this and a bit more like that? But I think there's been a turnaround. Social audio has contributed to that where people want more authenticity, uh, warts and all, rather than this manufactured uh, person that's kind of hitting the heights of this or that that's in line with certain things that are, you know, you're told to do. So yeah, that totally, totally resonates with me. Um, so you, you kind of come in, you come into the public domain, you've been interviewed by many new, uh, networks. How was that for you in terms of that transition? Obviously you were a model and you were working for kind of brands all, all over the world. But how did you feel start coming to the public domain with, you know, TV interviews, network interviews? Talking about myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah talking about yourself. <laughs> how did that, was that a transitional thing for you? Did it come naturally because of the modeling or was it different or it felt different? You know, it was hard at first. And I'll tell you why, because when you're in front of a camera and you're just like a mannequin, you're not talking, you, then it's not so egocentric, right? But when you start getting on networks and talking about your story and your book and your success and the film, you know, then you can, you kind of say to yourself, well, is my ego in check here? Now, if I was measuring my, my, if I was measuring my personal success on the TV networks, and like I said, the, the likes on social media or the comments or who was interviewing me, then I would be caught up in that pride, Right. But I'm not caught up in that pride. I'm not, it's not about me. Although I'm talking about my story, it's not to serve me. Like, I don't care about like my name on the Wikipedia page. I care about what it says underneath, right? It's not so much the picture. It's what's underneath the picture. And so, but a lot of people, like a lot of celebrities are like, they want all this attention. They want all this acclaim. And, you know, you have all these divas out there. Because it's about them. It's pride. But if you completely wash all that pride away and go, okay, it's not about me. It's not self-serving. What do I have left? Right. And it's all the stuff underneath the name. It's all the stuff underneath the pictures. That's what I care about. Yeah. I love that. I love that uh, in, uh, perspective that you give on, on it. And it's so, so true. Um, so what would be your advice, Christine, to, you know, people who are going through adversities and problems? You know, we've been going through the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, people have lost their businesses, maybe their homes, you know, lost loved ones, um, suffering from other uh, health ailments or, or maybe financial stresses. You know, there's a mental health crisis brewing. Uh, what would be your advice as someone who's gone through so much as you have to anyone who's out there maybe going through adversities, problems themselves? Well, I don't know how I would have ever survived without my faith. And so I spend a lot of time in prayer. I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts. But what we choose to listen to is so important. So if I just had the new, like I work from home. So if I have my computer on and I'm typing away and I'm working and I'm, I'm in school too. So I'm doing homework. If I have the news on, it doesn't matter what channel, it doesn't matter what station. If I have on the news all morning by noon, I'm like biting my teeth. I'm gritting my nail. You know, I'm just like all anxious and all worked up. But if I have like peaceful music on or like five to eight vibration on and the background, or if I have a podcast that's uplifting or like super soul Sundays or something that's feeding my soul, then by noon, I'm like, okay, 
let's go accomplish more. Let's go do more. I'm not, although I'm in, although I'm in physical pain, I can do anything, right? Because it depends on what I'm listening to. And so we can all meditate on anything we want, right? It's such a choice. If you want to feel hopeful, then seek out hope, right? If you want to feel hopeless, that's so easy to find. I can spend all day in a pity party, but that's a choice. And I'm not going to do that because I love myself more than that. And I think if we dig deep inside and figure out what does that self-love look like, people will stop watching the news. People will stop listening to things that are inspiring fear inside of them. And I think that's a very good start. Listen to what you're listening to and then discern what's helping you and what's not. Yeah, such powerful words and and, and such great advice for for anyone listening uh, on what you just said there because it's so true it's so true uh, how you, and how you put it uh, you know it, it was, it, it's beautifully said um i want to talk about next as we come to the latter part of the podcast is what have you learned about life and the human condition you know through all the multitude of experiences you know model from 11 years old uh traveling the world working with all these brands then going through such a health crisis of you know the cancer diagnosis uh in, in 2012 yeah. october and all of those kind of things and then moving and transitioning to that sense of you know building a life around service becoming an author uh, a motivational speaker uh, a mentor you name it um what have you learned about life and the human condition people really just want to be loved mm. i mean it's really that simple people want to be seen because they want to be loved So if you're in a room, if I'm mentoring people or if I'm at a prison, I'm talking to people, the prisoners will come up to me after my presentation and they'll be in like a line, like 200 people deep because they just want me to hear them. They want me to see them and hear them. And I'll spend hours after the presentation talking to each one of them, because if I dismiss them, then they feel dismissed and they don't feel seen or loved. Everybody wants to be seen and loved. That's it. At the end of the day, like, what do you have? Like when you go to bed at night, what do you have? You want to know that you're loved. You want to know that you're seen. For me, like, I want to know that I'm doing serving. I'm doing something good for the world. But I also want to know that I'm loved, right? Like by my family and my friends. I want to know that I've got roots. Like there's a grounding here for me. There's a community, We all need a community. And I think that's another reason why it's so difficult right now is because we're isolated and we don't feel that sense of community that we had for so long. So I think we need to reach out for that and be more of a community, even if it's just on FaceTime or calling somebody instead of texting. We need a community. People need to feel connected. Yeah, it's so true. And I've witnessed that here in London. You know, it's, it's not always known as the most friendliest of places. We, we, it's what's called the rat race and people you know, don't tend to, to, to smile much at each other or even speak to each other. And if you do randomly, people feel what's, what's the matter with that person, you know, a bit strange or something. Um, but since but the you pandemic, remember that person. Yeah. You remember that person. 
Yeah. And, and since the pandemic, though, there's been a change where people actually smiling to each other, you know, more kinder to each other. How long that lasts, anyone knows, because human beings sometimes have a memory like a goldfish when it comes to these things and we quickly get back on the treadmill. But I think a lot has changed and every crisis does give you that and every adversity does give you that in terms of the mechanisms of change and it's been a reset on a lot of the things that you just described and state as well here here in london and i think all over the world really yeah um on that side um for you who's your inspiration well my friends were because they showed up for me and it didn't matter that it was this another season of pain or another season of illness and i couldn't do anything for them it wasn't transactional so they were my inspiration. And then they said to me, when you're well and you're healthy, then you can go out and do what we've taught you to do. And so now I'm my inspiration because I continue to show up for other people. But maybe more importantly, I show up for myself. And I think that sometimes gets lost in this world. We're taught to go, go cheer each other on. Go, And that's critical. We have to cheer each other on. But we also have to cheer for ourselves. And I think in this world that looks kind of like, you know, like pompous. What do you mean you're cheering yourself on? That seems arrogant. It's not arrogant. It's critical. Yeah, it's, it, it's so true. And I think in the end, in the end, all we really have control of is moments in time our moments in time, like the time we spend together, because you take away this body, this shell, it eventually goes, everything eventually goes, our possession, our house, or whatever it is, you can't take it with you. But all you really have in the end is moments in time. And that's Love. all you really have, uh, to be honest. So before I let you go, because I know how busy you are, what's next for you in terms of your career and your future? So I have about a year and a half left on my master's program at Harvard, and I'm excited about that. And I'm on the board of two nonprofits. I think that will expand. I love working for nonprofits. And I continue, you know, I love doing my social media work because I think that most people, when they pick up their social media, they're just looking for that kind of fake, you know, world. And, you know, I, you throw me into the mix and they're like, whoa, she's talking about real stuff. And she's, you know, being very honest here. And let me take a look at that. So I think I have, I have an obligation and I think I have an opportunity to help other people on social media. Um, but I love partnering with brands and my movie eventually will come out. And again, it's not about me, but it's about the story. There needs to be a movie about breast cancer to give all these women that are being diagnosed with breast cancer, a movie, like a hopeful story. If you think about it, most of the movies that we've all seen like steel magnolias and, and so many others where somebody has been ill, they've died. Like that's what we're putting out into the world. Are you kidding me? We need a story about a woman who's gone through breast cancer in a very aggressive form who almost died many times who actually lives. So that's what I'm anxious to put out into this world. Hope. Uh, all power to you. And what we can all do with more doses of hope uh, in yeah. this world. And who, how, how is it best to contact you? Um, what medium would that be? Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on all of them, <laughs> I think. On some level, I don't do a lot of tweeting. But I, right. Instagram is a big one of mine. Pinterest is a big one. My website, you can email me. I'm accessible. I respond. It might take me a little while, but I do respond. And what's your handle on Instagram for those who want to reach out? 
Christine Handy won. And the only reason it's Christine Handy won, it's not arrogance. There was already <laughs> there was already a Christine Handy. So I had to do a number after. So I picked one because wow. I believe in me. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why I do these uh, kind of uh, um, uh, episodes of the one and only series, because there's only one and only of you, uh, Christine. So I want to thank you so much for spending time during the Christmas period before the new year. I want to wish you a very happy and healthy new year. It's been an absolute privilege and joy to have you on the podcast and, uh, you know, gr- many blessings to you. And I wish you all the very best. And it's been a great, great pleasure. Thank you so much for joining